Welcome to the Why God Why podcast brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. My name is Harry Gibbs. I'm a member at Browncroft and producer of the show. I'm joined by our host, Peter Engler, Director of Adult Ministries at Browncroft, and John Amayo, New York State Crew Director. Why God Why is a podcast where we are asking 21st century questions about God you never thought you could. Today's question is, why God why do I feel so fake and we have a very special guest that will be joining us in just a moment. But uh, Peter and John, I'll let you set the stage for our guest and uh, as well for our listeners for the conversation. Thanks, Harry. Uh, that's a great uh, intro right there. We love Harry. And um, so I'll talk a little bit about our guest later. But the question, why do I feel so fake? You know, I don't care how old you are. You know, I'm in my 30s. John, I'll let you give your age away. You know, I'm always thinking about like my identity and does it match with who I really am? And I think about my own life. I've created a narrative in some ways of how I think I'm supposed to be for people without actually becoming ourselves. And this, this conversation, there's so many like gray areas of what I do is who I am. Is that so like trying to cross that line is, I don't think Christians are just asking that. I think everybody in the world is asking, is who I project myself to be who I really am? I totally think you're right on on that. And if of any culture, I feel like right now we're at this cultural moment where everybody kind of struggles with this chameleon personality kind of thing. Like, and I do this too, like depending on what setting I'm in, I can kind of become a chameleon and adjust to that setting and to be the person that that setting is requiring me to be. And that's actually pretty scary when I take a look at that inwardly. I can ask myself this same question and I got to keep going back to it. Am I being who I truly am in this moment? And am I centered in who really, you know, from a Christian point of view, I got to go, am I centered in who God says I am in this moment? And if I'm not, then I'm off track. And so I think that's why this is such an important conversation. Not only is this an important conversation, though, we get to have this conversation with somebody that's really fun and I think really exciting to be a, a, to have on our podcast here today. So I'll let you do the intro, though. Sam Acho yeah. is an NFL linebacker, played for the Chicago Bears and the Arizona Cardinals. Um, he's also does a lot with uh, the players organization. On top of that, he was the Campbell Award winner, which is basically the academic Heisman Trophy winner. And, you know, I think one of the things that I love about Sam is his just um, genuine interest in everything. And when I heard him talk about, um, this question, it actually comes motivated and inspired by a book that he's writing, which we'll talk a little bit more about. But I think what you'll find is Sam just has the ability to take that 5,000 foot perspective to some of the biggest questions and also make them really real. So I'm excited to talk to Sam today. Yeah. Well, welcome, Sam, to the podcast. Great to have you here. Man, it's good to be here. It's good to be on with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's dive in. And uh, 
I do want to get around to our topic of conversation, but we have our first interview with an NFL player here on the Why Guy Why podcast. So that's pretty cool. And let's face it, I got to ask some NFL questions because uh, we got you here. So why not? I thought I was the third or fourth guy. They all told me he had like seven other dudes on the. All right. All right. I'll I'll break it in. I'll break it in for everybody else. Sam, I got to point out that John and I, we we love David Aker's quote that we are a linebacker stuck inside a kicker's body. So, <laughs> yeah. We're so glad to have a real linebacker here. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah, that's fantastic. I, I'm actually a kicker stuck inside of a linebacker's body. That's what people don't realize about me. So, <laughs> Well, it's probably better that way than our way. So anyway, um, so I think one of the questions that comes to my mind is, man, it's kind of like the apex. And I think in a lot of people's minds, like being an NFL player is like the apex of like what you could do in our society. You know, it's pretty cool. So are there any like conceptions that you, you think people like would be surprised about like with NFL players? Like, okay, now I'm an NFL player. Like, do, does that make all your dreams come true? Like, what do, what do you think like people would be surprised about? And playing the NFL. Yeah, yeah they're playing in the NFL. There's so much interesting. So my first my first experience, I just used to think all these guys in the NFL were untouchable. Like they don't have lives or personalities or families. But my first experience is understanding, oh, wow, these guys, some of these guys are married with kids. These guys have interests outside of the game of just football. I used to think these guys are just brutes, right? Yeah. And they're like, all I want to do is play football. <laughs> but there are guys who actually care about politics. They care about faith. They care about culture. They care about all these different things. And so I'm in the locker room having conversations about things that, that you never think you would talk about, right? We're talking about different presidents and some of their policies. We're talking about finances. We're talking about who's the best basketball player to ever play. I mean, we're talking, having all the conversations. And so what I realized is just the intelligence, how smart these guys are. People, a lot of people think athletes are are dumb jocks, Hmm. but these guys are some of the smartest guys I've ever been around. Yeah. And I've been around some smart guys. (laughs) Uh, Well, obviously you're sitting at this table. So anyway, wasn't talking about you. you (laughs) Quite obvious. Uh, yeah, that's that's cool. That's good. Yeah. So, uh, Sam, I, I just think it's kind of curious because even what you brought up in that response is, you know, and we're talking about the question, why do I feel a fake? And one of the things I've appreciated about you, everywhere you go, you build relationships. So maybe just take that question personally, you know, for Sam Acho, like what do, what do you feel like being a pro football player being a guy that has an MBA, someone that's really skillful in speaking, like how do you address this question for yourself to move forward? Because it seems like there's a lot of areas that could be potholes or even landmines of, I want to be the real Sam, but am I projecting a different self? Yeah, it's been really, it's been really difficult to be honest, to be me. Mm. It's been hard to be me because I've always felt like I had to fit in. I felt like, well, as a, I'm, I'm a really good athlete or I'm a, what I thought I was, I'm a pretty good athlete, but I also really like school. I like learning. I love learning. And so, but people say, well, if you're an athlete, you don't even do school. They say, yeah, you're a student athlete, but the athlete comes first mm. and the student part comes second. But I was a guy who I was, I was taking business honors courses. I was hoping to win this academic Heisman trophy. I had, you know, a Rhodes scholar, the whole deal like that. Those are my, I could still recite Shakespeare and pie to the 14th digit. Like I know these things yet for some reason, I always felt like 
I wasn't going to fit in. Mm. And so for me, talking about why do I feel so fake, it was about trying to fit in when even though even though I didn't have to. I feel like the only way I would be accepted would be if I acted like everyone else. I didn't embrace who I really was. Mm. Mm. So you felt the pressure from your side to to kind of reject kind of the suppress, like pretty much repress, like all the stuff that I cared about, whether it's like Hmm. educate, like like writing and reading and poetry and and, you know, people like Salvador Dali art, like stuff I cared about. I felt like it wasn't going to fit. Uh. So I mean, even getting my MBA. So I got my, I won the Campbell Trophy. With that trophy comes a, a $25,000 postgraduate scholarship. It's academic Heisman Trophy. Yeah. So it has a scholarship, 25K, but you have to use it within two years of graduate of your graduation. Yeah. So, but mind you, I graduated, but I went straight to the NFL. Sure. So well, that's one year gone. Mm-hmm. And so after that, off, after that off time, I had a chance to realize, okay, I have, I can do it. I can, I can do both. Mm-hmm. I can play. And then the off season, I can go and get my MBA. So I found the school, the Thunderbird school of global management. It's the number one international MBA in the world. It's a part of ASU now, Arizona state. Yeah. And I started getting my MBA, but I told no one. Oh, mm. you wouldn't even tell your teammates. Didn't tell you? my teammates. Didn't really? tell coaches. I mean, maybe one, one of my teammates knew it was my friend, my, my best friend on the team. Only he knew because he'd see me get dressed in these suits or this business casual where he's like, dude, what are you doing? I was like, dude, don't tell anybody, but I'm actually going to school. What are you talking about? We would leave practice. We had practice from eight to about from seven to 11 yeah. or so in the morning, 7 a.m. to 11, just the off season, four hour workouts. And I would drive 40 minutes to Glendale, Arizona. This is back when I played mm-hmm. with the Cardinals. I changed real quick there, or I would actually just take my clothes with me. Mm go in my workout clothes and change on campus. So guys wouldn't ask all the questions of why am I wearing this, these suits when I should be in shorts and, and sandals. Yeah. And so I'd go to class every day for, for the entire off season. Wow. And then I did it again the next off season. Didn't tell a soul because I was thinking that if they know they're, they already think I'm too smart. They mm-hmm. already think I care about too many things outside of the game. If they find out about this, then I'll be rejected. So that was a it was a lie that I was believing, but you know we talk about why why God why do I feel so fake? Because I yeah. was faking, I was pretending. Ah, uh, dude, that is so remarkable. I, I haven't ever thought about it in that way of of experiencing it from that side. Like, oh, you you can't care about your education. Yeah, it's I mean even like the NFL is kind of it's kind of you know ancient a little bit. Sometimes mm-hmm. the thinking is very. I mean, I w- it's very ancient, very, very much so like, oh, he's the first one in the building and he's the last one out. This guy really cares. All he does, he eats and he sleeps and he drinks football. That's right. all he wants to do. Whereas I think everyone knows good and well that people have interests outside of the game. Some of the best players I know, mm-hmm. like I'm talking future Hall of Famers, as soon as practice ends, they're going to golf and they're like great golfers, <laughs> right? Some of the best players I know have all these interests with different nonprofits. Some of the best players I know have cares and passions outside of the game. Some of the best players I know don't only care about football. Mm. But sometimes coaches, or general managers, or even owners, they think, well, you should only care about football. Mm. And so for me, that why God, why do I feel so fake was based out of fear. I was faking out of fear. Well, can we dive into that a little bit more? Because this has already given me a, a really cool picture of what you're experiencing there. So so are there any other areas in your life that you've experienced this, that you've gone like, man, I just feel fake right now? Yeah, without a doubt. Even growing up, just growing up, I, I had a different kind of upbringing. So my parents are 
came from Nigeria wow. in their early 20s. So I'm first generation. So I grew up in, in Dallas, Texas in a Nigerian household. We ate Nigerian food. We spoke Igbo and English. We, we went to different African Christian fellowships. So I grew up in this Nigerian household. I went to school though. My parents, you know, Nigeria, people care about education. So they put us in the best school. The school is called St. Mark School of Texas. It's the number one private school in America. Mm. They put us in that school, but it was pretty much an all white school. Wow. Okay. So all Nigerian kind of household and culture, all white school. My dad's a pastor at this church in South Dallas in the hood. Mm. All black church. Yeah. So on on Sundays and Wednesdays, I'm in this church with all pretty much all black. Yeah. Mondays to Fridays, I'm in school, pretty much all white. And I'm talking about like, you know, rich, like some of some of my, you know, some of my classmates, their dads were presidential candidates and so on and so forth, that kind of school. And then at home, it's this Nigerian culture and kind of attitude. So Peter and I were talking the other day about, he's like, Sam, you, it's, it's almost like you're all over the place with some of the, your interests. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Here's why. Mm. Right. I've always had this affinity towards be able to almost like jump from culture to culture to be a chameleon. I understand how to hang out with the white guys. Mm-hmm. I understand how to hang out with the black guys. I understand how to hang out with the Nigerian people. I understand how to hang out with anybody because that's how I grew up. And so we talked earlier about this idea of being a chameleon. Mm-hmm. I always felt like in a lot of areas of my life, that I was a chameleon. I knew how to fake and pretend. I, I go back and, and just think about my times in college and some of the stuff, like how I was acting and trying to fit in with the guys in college. I'm like, I look at videos now. And I'm like, that's not me. Mm. It's not even close to how I am. I go back and look at some of the, you know, think about the times in, 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 in high school and the stuff I was trying to doing to try to fit in. It's like, that's not me either. You know? So that's why even the book, it's this journey of like, be, be you. Like, what does it mean to be you? How to, how to live your true life in a world full of fakes. Like I'm uncovering, this whole deal of like, who is Sam and what does Sam believe? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you brought up a lot of, um, you know, just I'm causing myself to question even the way that I project my life. And I, I think that that's what's going to make this book great. But I guess what are your observations on when you meet people, if you meet the real person or the fake person, you know, and, and I guess you know, maybe the better way to ask that too is as you're writing this book, what do you think is the big problem that you see right now that you want to help address to help people grow? And I love how you say this too. Like, I just want to encourage people. So how do you think you can kind of frame and kind of lead that to respond to that problem? Yeah. Well, the biggest thing I've learned in my time in the NFL and, and just in life, and I'll get to some of the details later is that people see right through you especially men, you know, you're in a locker room full of men, full of alpha males, right? Macho men, they can see right through you. And so being in locker rooms, I've understood that, man, if I'm going to survive, this whole pretending thing isn't going to work because I'm with these guys 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and maybe not 365, but about 300 days (laughs) of the year, Mm -hmm. right around there. So these guys see me, Mm. we travel together, we sleep in hotels together. We practice together. We fight with each other. We do all these things. So you can't pretend. And so take that. And I'm like, okay, if I'm going to survive, I got to be, I got to be real. I got to figure out who I am. And so like my goal is to help under, like, the, I guess the, the, the reasoning behind it is understanding that people see right through you, number one. And then number two, well, when people see right through you, like, how do you see yourself? Mm-hmm. How do you see yourself? Cause I mean, it's like, okay, I know you're seeing me, but what, it, what are you seeing? 
You're saying that I'm pretending, but what actually are you saying? Are you saying a pretender? Are you saying, like, what do you really see? I remember there's this guy in my school. His name is Jay Kling. This is growing up like sixth, seventh grade, maybe, maybe even earlier. And, you know, you'd be sitting at the lunch table with your friends and it'd be like, man, I, I love this, this, uh, you know, this cream soda. It's so great. And then the next person's like, dude, I love cream soda too. And, you know, the next guy would be like, oh man, it's, it's awesome. And then Jay, you knew Jay had never tried cream soda. But he's like, oh, I love cream soda. It's the best, man. <laughs> you know, everything, man, this new video game. And it's like, Jay would always be like, oh man, I love that game. It's like, Jay, I know you don't even play that game. You know what I mean? So, so it's like this whole deal of like faking. I could tell, I could see that he was faking, but I never saw Jay. Mm. So it's like, with me, people saw that I was pretending, but I don't know if they ever saw me. And it finally got to a point where I said, okay, I need people to see me. And God did a really cool thing. We had a new coach in Chicago. His name was Matt Nagy, and he was our coach my last year in Chicago. And his whole motto for the year, our team motto, we had two sayings. The first one was obsessed to be the best. That was his saying for the team. But his second saying was be you. Be you. And in the NFL, that's so rare. Being genuine is not ever a word I think I've heard in my eight year in the NFL. Genuine, generous, kind. Those words aren't words I hear in locker rooms or amongst coaches. So for this coach to come and say, be you, and not only did he say be you, he also encouraged it. He didn't shun guys who had interests outside of the game. We had guys who love to golf. We do golf tournaments. We had guys who love to make rap videos. He'd show their music videos in team meetings. Be you, be you, be you. And so anyways, I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to be me. And I hope, and my hope is that, and what I've learned in that process is that, oh my gosh, people love me. I'm still loved. I'm not going to be rejected. I'm not going to be left out. I'll still be loved. And that's what I want people to understand that when you're you, three things happen. Number one, God gets the glory. Number two, the, the world around you thrives. And number three, the people around you, they benefit when you're you. So, so Sam, I, I'm curious because I, I can just, hear our listeners really uh, be in tension about this because some would think that to follow Jesus, you literally throw out everything you love and everything you like. And so I'm just curious, how does, you know, a framework, how does following Jesus allow you to actually be you? How would you respond to that? Yeah, I would say, it's the antithesis of what you just said. Following Jesus, when you follow Jesus, you don't throw away your life. When you follow Jesus, you actually do the things that he made you to do. Think about the disciples. Think about the disciples. He called some fishermen, right? He called some fishermen. He says, he, he, he didn't say, hey, follow me and we're going to go and, and change the whole world. He said, no, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So you're going to continue to fish, but now you're going to fish for people. You're going to bring them, right? And also when Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, the disciples were weary. What did they go back to? They were going and they were on a boat. They were fishing. Peter denied Jesus three times. And where, where, did, where did Jesus find him? On a boat back fishing. He was doing what he loved. I think about Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was up in the tree that he was a tax collector, right? And he was collecting taxes and Jesus came to him and, and Jesus saw him in the tree and the, war, the town hated him. They hated this dude because he was taking all their money and charging them extra Jesus saw him. He didn't say, hey, stop taking people's money. Stop doing what you're doing. He said, no, I want to sit with you. Let, 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 let me come eat with you tonight. I want to come to your house. Right. And with that interaction, what happened was Zacchaeus realized, oh, my gosh, I need to do better. So what he did, he said, I'm, I, I want to go and pay back people what I, what I took from them. I want to do better. And so it's not this thing of you being a follower of Jesus, being a Christian and saying, I need to just abandon my whole life. Jesus says, no, do what you're doing, but do it for me. Mm. Mm. 
Sam wow. Macho is our guest here on the Why God Why podcast. We are answering the question, why God, why do I feel so fake? And uh, Sam, I was hoping you could um, maybe give some application for our listeners. Uh, in your life, when you've, uh, you know, you've shared these moments uh, where you've felt fake, or even now you're able to look back and see moments where you were fake, practically, what can someone maybe do to kind of recognize it, like have that light bulb moment? when it's happening, because it's so easy to casually, uh, in conversation, just go along with the crowd. Uh, but it's kind of difficult to, to recognize that in the moment. Yeah, it's really hard, Harry. And I, and I'm like, one thing I've learned for me, cause a lot of the, the fake was coming with emotions. So for me, it's like, I'm, I'm a very emotional person, very emotional, whether it's angry or happy or super joyful or crying, whatever. And I would suppress that. I would suppress that and it wasn't healthy. And so for me, what do I, what did I learn how to do in the moment? I got some wise counsel. I'd learned learn from some people. And for me, they told me, name your emotions. Like in the moment, whatever you feel, instead of keeping it in, just name it. And so what I started to do personally, this is what I've done is if something's going on, I'll get it really upset. Instead of just getting upset and just going and going, I would stop and I'd say, I'm really angry right now. You know, instead of getting in a fight with a team, because sometimes you're, you're, you're going and you're going with teammates or whatever, family, friends, or you're going. I remember getting, getting ready to get into this fight with this guy in training camp last year. And usually it's like, okay, you disrespected me. Like I, I, I beat him on the play. He went extra. He tried to, tried to pancake me to show everybody that he won, even though I had beat him. And usually if somebody does that and you lay on top of me because he was laying on top of me, it's going to be a fight. <laughs> well, I don't care what happens. And so, but, but I learned this whole deal about naming your emotions and so, and so he's on my back and I, I get him off my back and I, I say, I say, I'm so angry. I'm going to, I want to punch you right now. And he laughs, right? He laughs. He's like, dude, who does that? Right? Like who stands up? He's like, I'm really going to punch you, you know? And so, and then, so, but I, and I didn't, I didn't punch him, right? Whatever. But it was almost like this moment of like, instead of just acting, mm. I just, I stopped and I named my emotions. I'm angry. And this is what I want to do with my anger. Sometimes it's like, dude, I'm, I'm really happy right now. Or it's like, dude, I'm really, I'm really upset or frustrated. That's like, that's, I mean, if there's one key for me, I think it, this can apply to anybody, especially men with, with our emotions, it's naming them, naming your emotions. So practically, I think that's one really good step that, that can help. Yeah, I, I, that's just really good. I think what you're describing there is kind of like this, this authenticity of realizing what's going on underneath the surface of your life and just expressing that. Like that is one form of staying true to who you are. If you were to give, because I imagine there's some people who are listening right now who are like, wow, okay, that's, that's one step, but I don't even know who I am. Like really me, who's the real me beneath all of this? Cause I got all of these shows that I put on for all these people out there. These masks that we wear. Yeah. The, yeah. Sometimes social media, I think just, just makes that a really, really difficult thing, you know, cause we're, that's all it is, is like the good stuff that we put out there. We don't put the train wreck stuff out there on social media generally. Um, so what are, what other steps would you say to, to somebody who is struggling with like, who is the real me? Yeah, one, one main step, and I learned this from my one of my pastors back in Chicago, a guy by the name of Steve Carter. He 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 taught this sermon about just jumping in the water, mm. just jumping in the water. Sometimes you don't know what you're good at or your likes or your dislikes, and sometimes he says just try it. 
right? You've been putting on this show. Let's say football, man, I'm good at football and everybody says I should play football, but sooner or later I'm going to, I'm not going to play anymore. It happens to everybody. So what are the things that I, that I enjoy? So for some of the things I love, I love speaking. And then all of a sudden I started writing and I found this new passion for writing, mm-hmm. right? So jumping into the water and just, and just trying out new things. I think that's a good step. Things that you, you, you may have really enjoyed, but you just put away for later. Mm-hmm. I think a good step is to try those things, to figure out, okay, what are the things that I'm good at? But I think even more importantly is understanding that you're not defined by the things you do, no matter how great you are at them. I'm not a football player. I'm a follower of God who plays football. I'm not a you know, I'm not an, an author or a speaker. I'm, I'm just a guy who wants to encourage people. I, I, I joke with Peter. I said, I said, I'm in the business of encouragement. Mm. Like that's what I do. That's my, that's, 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 that's my MBA. My MBA is an encouragement. Yeah. You know, so Sam, I want to come back to, you know, your experience and sharing what you went through in high school. And I just feel like this is really important for all of our listeners. So, you know, you shared about, you know, being a black student at a white school and then being a black a church attender with a black church. And so I, I, I'd love to hear you respond to, to kind of these two questions that go together. Number one, I want you to talk to, you know, our black listeners that feel like, you know what, I have to be something that I'm not. And then I also want you to talk to our white listeners and even to me, you know, how do we create better environments and it's not just racial, but I think it goes beyond that. We allow people to be who they are. And, you know, some of that is there are very overt ways that it happens, but there's also covert. So, you know, if I was to boil those two questions down, you know, talk to our black listeners and just encourage them about your experience and just how you'd want them to respond. But also talk to our white listeners and say, hey, this is, you know, this is something that happens that you need to be aware of. And maybe just how you can bring those two groups together. Yeah, it's interesting. About a year and a half ago, I got a question. So I was playing with the Bears and the whole Colin Kaepernick taking a knee was situation was coming up. And I had a question from a reporter and he said, well, Sam, you're really involved in the community and you actually go out and you do all the right things and you're really in the community. But a bunch of your teammates, they don't do any of that stuff. And so um, how do you get those guys to, to be more like you? It would have... And it would have been really easy for me to say, to pat myself on the back and say, yeah, I'm the only guy and I'll figure it out and be the token, like the token black guy, the token good guy, the token football player. But I stopped that guy mid-sentence. I was like, first of all, you don't know my teammates. Like, you don't know them. How I know them? How do I know them? I've been around them. I've spent time with them. So there are plenty of guys who do stuff in the community that nobody knows about. Especially you as a reporter, you don't know about. You're looking at me and saying, well, Sam, you're the only one. So I think for certain listeners to look at people of different races, black, white, I don't care what you are, and say, well, you're the only one. You're an exception. You're the smart one. You're the the, the, the well-spoken one. It's like, no, you're wrong. Come spend time with my teammates. That's why I say come spend time with my teammates. And then also, I would say for people on the other side, when you feel like, man, I got to try and fit in in order to to like carry this weight of like proving that 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 we as a as a as a people group are 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 equal to you know, or sufficient. It's like, no, man, like God sees you. God sees you and God loves you, right? For who you are. We can't go. I mean, like there's so much to try and change. And I think there, there are great ways to do that. I think we should go about and change those things, whether it's um, the way people see race, the way people see, you know, the, the, you talked about those covert, call it what it is, covert racism. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, 
DWBs, right? Driving while black. That's happened to me. You know what I mean? And I mean, I think it's just simple as understanding different cultures and not just seeing, seeing somebody of a different race and judging them. I think, I think it's dangerous when we do that, when we just see somebody and judge them as supposed to go and sit down and get to know them and know what they've been through and know their struggles, sit down and eat dinner with them and dine with somebody. I think you learn a lot. I learned a lot about you this week. We spent a lot of time this week sitting down, Peter, eating, hanging out. And I had my, my conceptions about you, my preconceived notions, and all those, all those have been shattered down. Minus your height, you're, you are as tall as I thought. I, I knew you were not very tall, but everything else was going to be. I, t- I talk a good 5'5". Five five. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is super good, super good. What, what, would you, what would you, and this is, this whole conversation, so this, what Peter's question was a really great question, just about this racial dynamic, I think that we're, that, that we're tempted to, to fall into this kind of paradigm of, of believing kind of this cultural belief of this clash of cultures and not getting to know people like you're talking about, like really get invested in other people's lives that aren't part of our culture. Um, we just had a, a, one of our most recent podcasts, we were talking a little bit about that as well. Are there any other, uh, hints that you can give people maybe in your book that you're talking about. Cause I, I do want people to, to recognize that book and to go out and to, to, to search it out and to get it. Are, are there any other highlights in there for us that you can say, well, this is really, really important. Yeah. Well, before even getting there, just to go back to Peter's question and to your question too, is, is getting out of the bubble. Mm-hmm. Like we live in these bubbles and that's what people don't realize. You live in this bubble and it's like, well, racism isn't real. Racism doesn't exist. That was back in the fifties and the forties. And that's not that real. It's like, no, it does like step outside, go to, you know, uh, uh, go, go to Rochester, like the city of Rochester and, and, and go take a trip down there and see if racism is real or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Don't say, well, it doesn't affect me. No, it affects everyone. Mm-hmm. It affects everyone. So realize like if you're, if you're not, taking a better, a, a different view and actually going and spending time and loving your neighbor, then you're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. You really are. You are part of the problem. If you're not going to get to know your neighbor, your black neighbor, your white neighbor, your gay neighbor, your straight neighbor, if you're not going to go and love your neighbor and get to know them, then you are a part of the problem. And there is a problem. Mm, wow. That's and that's good. true. Like people, you know, and it's easy to talk about right on a podcast. Oh, let's talk about these great things. Yeah. But like, but it's actually doing it. Like for me, I got a chance with George McCaskey, the chairman of the Chicago Bears. We were going through this issue of, you know, police brutality and, and co- taking a knee. And our team was ready to take a knee because there were some comments that were made that were really inflammatory. And the guys were all ready to take a knee. And, and George said, OK, how can we do this well? And and the team was trying to figure out how we do it well. And finally, after we our team decided to, to lock arms as a sign of of unity. But after the game, George McCaskey, he's a chairman of the Chicago Bears, came to me and said, Sam, I love the way you handled that. But if if this is something that you all really care about, I don't want this to be the last time we talk about this, whether it's police brutality or racial issues. Like if it's if you're serious about it, let's do something about it. Come up to my office. My, my doors are open. I'd love to just have a conversation. Here's what happened. Usually in situations like that, most players will not go up to an owner's office. George McCaskey, his mother is Virginia McCaskey who's the owner of the Chicago Bears. Virginia's father is George Hallis, the founder of mm-hmm. football, Yeah, <laughs> right? And so most players will never go up to an owner's office. Most owners will never invite a player to their office, but there's gotta be this bridge of trust. And it's a bridge, you know those wooden bridges that you walk across with the rope and you don't know if it's gonna fall? Like that's what it was like going up there, but I did. I went up there, I got this black player, went up to this white owner and sat down. And you know what this white owner did? This white owner said, hey Sam, 
I don't know. I don't know how to handle the situation. If you have some good ideas, let me know. Mm. Humility. Mm-hmm. And so I had some ideas. I said, okay, how about we do this? I, I talked with some friends, talked with some guys on the team and I said, how about this? So we're trying to figure out police community relations. So how about any, he, he told me he had some relations with people in the police I said, how about we do a police ride along me and you mm-hmm. go to the South side of Chicago district seven, one of the worst places in town and let's sit with the police and get their perspective. Right. Yeah. He said, yes. But I said, but if we do that, I want you to come with me to a prison. Ooh. See, I got a chance. To, I got a chance to spend some time in different prisons and see God do work in some of these prisons. I said, I want you to come with me to this prison. He said, yes. And so the third thing I said, okay, I want, how about this? He's never been to a rap concert. And there's this guy named Lecrae, who's, uh-huh. a, who's a rapper who, who loves God and follows God and talks about these social justice issues as well. I said, I said, let's go to a Lecrae concert. Let's go to a Lecrae concert. And he said, yes. Talk about jumping in and out of different cultures with the police in a prison at a concert. We had all these experiences. And I thought that this owner, this white owner would say, well, that was fun, Sam. Thanks. Bye. Mm-hmm. No. He looked at me at the very end of the Lecrae concert was the last thing we did. He said, hey, what's next? Wow. What's next? And you know what was next? A few months later around the, in the spring, we went to, we went to, it was around the Super Bowl. We sat down with a guy by the name of Alan Page, who's the first black Supreme Court justice in Minnesota. Also happens to be an NFL Hall of Famer, uh, MVP, two-time defensive player of the year, nine-time pro bowler, six-time all-pro. And now he's the first black Supreme Court justice and the Super Bowl Super Bowl was in Minnesota and he had this this um, race this this it pretty much it was an exhibit about American history and race relations. Mm. And we sit down with Alan Page and his wife Diane and we sit and we learn about these issues. We sit down and we go and we go to these issues. Super Bowl they have these parties, Super Bowl parties, right? They have owners parties as well. George invited me to the owners party as well. After that we went to Washington Washington DC to the the National Museum of African American History and Culture to go learn more about these issues. We went. We also sat down at Howard University, uh, a historically black, black university, and we sit down with some of the lecturers to learn about some of these issues. And so what I would say to the white listeners is to follow George's example. Mm. Owner of the Chicago Bears, it is getting down in the dirt with the players and, and listening. Mm. What do I do? What should I do? And you know what? Because I, I, I asked him, I said, how did you, like, why were you doing these things with me? And he said, Sam, my posture was this. My posture was whatever you asked, my answer was going to be yes. As long as it was possible, I was gonna be, it was going to be yes. Hmm. Say yes. Say yes. So I think we had two more questions, but the, the one question I, I want to kind of come back and just hearing you talk, I mean, this is just, it's so... It's so challenging in such a good way to call all of us to get out of our comfort zone. So, you know, I want you to imagine, you know, the 20 something year old that's listening to this podcast that, you know, wherever they are in their career, they're climbing the corporate ladder and, you know, it takes humility to step out of yourself. But if you had some one of our listeners here one on one and they're saying, why is be worried about being fake? You know, because there's that horrible cliche, fake it till you make it. Why and what would you say to them in this season of their life to really experience what you're calling for in this book? Yeah, well, first I would just change, you know, fake it till you make it will make you miserable. 
and I've seen it firsthand. And so what I would tell the, the, any listener, whether you're 20 something or 200 and something, if you're listening, I would say that God loves you and not just the you that you portray on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram. God loves you for you in your pain, in your insecurities, in your doubts, in your fear, in your failure. God loves you for you and he sees you and he's always seen you. And so I would tell them that you don't have to be that one of my, one of my best friends. So I was in the business honors program at UT. So I have friends, I mean, even growing up, I had friends in high school or middle school who won the Scripps National Spelling Bee. I had friends in high school who scored perfect scores on the SAT. I had friends in college who were double majors, pre-med and, and, and business honors, right? Some of the hardest majors you could possibly have. One of my friends, her name is Leslie, and she works in, in, in pretty much investment banking. And she's one of the only women in her, women in her firm, 20 something years old, um, invest in different companies. And she just feels this pressure to not only perform, but to do it like the guys do it. Cause that's the way she'll fit. But she's also a believer. She's a Christian and she knows scripture and she knows what brings her soul peace. And so she's Leslie's living in this tension of, I know what God's called me to do, but this is also my, my profession. How do I find that balance? How do I live in that tension? And so what I would tell Leslie and I already told Leslie is God put you there for a reason, but he didn't put you there to conform to everyone else. He put you there to be an example, to be a light. The Bible talks about we are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. We're a city on a hill that can't be hidden. She's the only woman in her firm. Yet she's doing the things that God has called her to do, whether it's, whether it's not working 150 hours. You know what I mean? Like she's doing the things that God calls her to do, taking time off, uh, trusting God, building relationships, loving people. She's doing that. And I believe it's going to pay off. Sam, we always uh, finish every podcast with our uh, final question, which is centered around how we believe uh, Jesus would teach us, how Jesus would answer specifically why God, why uh, do I feel so fake? So we, we let Peter and John uh, lead off and then we let you be our closer. So basically in this sense, we missed the first two tackles and you're taking the wrong <laughs> <back>. <laughs> that, that, that's Game, game saving yeah. touchdown? Uh, I'm going to go. go to scripture for the touchdown. It ain't going to be me. It'll be the word of God. <laughs> Jesus, make the tackle. Jesus I've the... prayed that prayer before. Oh man. Uh, so I'll start and... Um, you know, I'm reminded of John 1, where the gospel writer talks about Jesus calling the first disciples. And there, there's this little section that if you just skim over it, you, you'll read it, you'll miss it. But Jesus calls a man by the name of Nathaniel. And how he calls Nathaniel is he says, I saw you when you were alone by the tree. And, you know, when we talk about being fake and we talk about Jesus knowing who we really are. There's actually, I think I've grown up in a Christian home. It's almost scary. It's Mm -hmm. almost as if Jesus is going to uncover all the dirt on us. But in this moment, when Jesus calls Nathaniel, he says, like, I saw you. And Nathaniel says, this man knows everything about me. I'm going to follow him. And I, I wonder how often we miss that experience where Jesus is saying, I see the real you. I see the real you that goes to bed every night with these thoughts and these worries. I see the real you that you really do love people and you actually see that there's something wrong. Mm. And I've given you a passion 
to to not just be conformed or to go along with the crowd, but I see you that I've put something in you to change not the whole world, but the world around you. And so as I think about this question, why do I feel so fake? You know, Christianity at its core says, be who God made you to be, and he sees everything, and that's part of who you are. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a really great point, Peter. And and I, I think, uh, as I reflect on this, just sitting here, I just think of the words of Jesus, you know, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world, but they lose their soul? You know, and, 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 and that, that word soul being you, it, it means more than just your, your, your soul soul, but it means you, who you are. So you can gain the entire universe and have everything that the world promises and yet still lose in the end, if you lose who you are in that process. And Jesus is saying, if you come to me, you'll gain who you really are. It's about being who you truly, truly were created to be. And I think that's what, you know, Sam, you've done just a great job of, of kind of leading us toward. I think one of the reasons why Jesus wants us to experience that isn't just so that we can experience that for ourselves. It's so that as you were talking about so well in that story, we can take that and then impact the world around us by, because to be honest, it takes a very secure person in who you are to invite other people in and to say, okay, I can enter your world now because I know exactly who I am uh, before God and before the people around me. And that's the life that Jesus is asking us to enter. It's to put our own self aside and to put him at the center and to say, I'm going to live for you. And uh, that's where true life is found. So that's what I would say, Sam, though. You know, we may have just missed the tackles. Why don't you just, I just take it there? He's got a, he's got a Jesus juke right yeah, now. Yeah. Hey, man, I missed plenty of tackles in my yeah, day. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give this a shot. So what I would say, there's a few things. I think about the prostitute in the Bible. There's a story of this prostitute who was pretty much caught in the act, and they were they, all the people around the town were ready to stone her, right? She's a mm-hmm. prostitute. She's doing her thing. She's evil. She's a sinner. Let's stone her. And then Jesus came and he says, let he who was without sin cast the first stone. Talk about being seen in the midst of your depravity. And it's the Bible says that one by one from oldest to youngest, everyone dropped their stone and walked away. Mm -hmm. So she was seen. People were ready to, people were ready to accuse, but what would Jesus do? Jesus would say "Let he was without sin, cast the first stone. They walked away. But what's interesting is what happened next. What happened after that is, Jesus bends down to be with her, to help lift her up. And he, and, he, and he asked her a question. He says, where have all your women, where have all your accusers gone? Nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. And what he says to her, he looks at her and he says, he says, they don't condemn you and neither do I. Now go and sin no more. And I think that is what Jesus would say. Why, God, why am I being so fake? I feel like if I'm real, I'm going to get stoned. That's how I feel. If I'm real, like they're going to attack me. Mm. So I got to pretend. But Jesus says, no, no, like you're not alone. Where have all your accusers gone? Be real, be you, and watch your accusers walk away. I mean, there's so many songs. I've listened to Hillsong United a lot and, and Bethel music. And so much of these songs, it's almost like talks about like the accusers, the accuser walking away. 
and being with Jesus. And it's like, man, like I have no choice but to worship him. So, so, so yeah, that's what I would say. Sam Macho, thanks for being on the Why God Why podcast. If you have any questions you'd like Peter or John to answer or just want to comment on this show or our past show, uh, check out our website, whygodwhypodcast.com. Thanks for listening.